Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. On the mountain, in the valley, in the crowded streets, or the empty desert, in our hope, and in our waiting, we are never alone. God is with us. morning, Joey. At first, it's good to see you this morning. Thanks for being here. We're excited. We are so excited for the series. Uh, we are in part two or week two of this series. And uh, the reason why we chose God with us uh, is because for so, so many of us during this time, we're reminded of who's not with us. Right? You, you know that you've lost people in your life or you have mended and, or excuse me, broken and busted relationships that you know need mending. Some of us realize that this is a time where everybody feels warm and fuzzy when the rest of us feel like this is a time that is just really cold and lonely. And we also chose this series, this idea or this theme, God is with us because of the transition that's taking place within the life of our church. Uh, many of you know that we are in the process of selling this property. We're moving to a new property and we're replanting as a new church and we're excited about that. But in that process, there's this understanding or there's this question often of, are we making the right decision and is God with us? And this is the question that all of us wrestle with at some point in our life is, is God with us? And so we love this story. In fact, we'll, we're going to discover this story on Christmas. But many of you know that there was a little baby born to this mother. And this mother was given instruction to then name her son Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And we said this last week. So often, you've heard this before and you know this. We focus on this idea of God and with us. And we totally skip out on the is part. Now, you remember you go back to the beginning of school and you went to grammar school and everything like that, and they taught you about this word is. You remember that this is a verb, right? It is a verb, and it is a state of being verb. And I love this thought that God's state of being, and this is where we kind of landed, um, or the theme for the whole uh, uh, four weeks, is that God's state of being is not conditioned upon your circumstance. That God's state of being with you his withness is not conditioned upon our circumstance, which is totally counterintuitive to the way most of us experience God. And so last week, if you missed last week, we started in the valley and we went down this familiar passage that many of you know, Psalm 23, which is so familiar to us. Uh, but we often just start in the first five verses because it is a reminder to us of the perfect life that God gives us when we start following him. And many of you know, if you know me, that's sarcasm as I say that, that so often when we say yes to Jesus, there's this expectation that everything will be made awesome. Everything will be right. I will no longer have problems in my life, that I'll just have the perfect life that God gives me. In fact, it says in there that he will lead me down the right paths. And then we said there's this caveat 
that said, for his name's sake. And if you know anything about following Jesus or the life of Jesus, you would know that when it comes to Jesus' namesake, and we allowed you to say in church, for Christ's sake, uh, we allowed you to say that, probably for the first time and the last, uh, we said, for Christ's sake, often the right paths feel so wrong. That whenever it comes to the life Jesus has called us to, sometimes the right path that he leads us down feels so wrong. In fact, the main idea that we said, hey, you're going to go through a valley, you're going to go through a time of darkness, you're going to wonder if God is with you because you can't see him in front of you, but at the end of the day, this is what we wanted you to know, and that is this. I think we've got this slide up here. You are poised to know God more when you seemingly sense him less. You are poised to know God more when you seemingly sense him less. And we said how you respond in the valley determines the right path for other people. Perhaps you are going through what you're going through so that others can see the way through. That God has specifically called you to go through this time of darkness so you can show others the way through it. So, we started in the valley this week. We continue with the wilderness. So, we're going to do some weird, creepy vibe thing that I need from you because um, I just need your help today. So, if you would, would you just reach out your hands toward me? I would love your blessing. Uh, typically, I pray a prayer of blessing over you before I leave, but I need your blessing this morning as I bring God's word. Lord, we thank you that you have created us in your image, that you are the divine creator of the world. And we are reminded today that this image that you've created us in is a calling to something great. That we are to be reflections of your grace and love to the world. And so as we discover your word, I pray, I pray, I pray that we would be enlightened and empowered as you speak truth to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Thank you for your prayers this morning. So a week or two ago, we were sitting in meetings. Um, that's what we do when we're not up here preaching, sitting in a lot of meetings. And I was in a vision board meeting. We have a vision team that gathers together and we talk about the future. And then right after that, we had a nominating committee meeting where we essentially talk about the future leaders who will then guide us through the next year. And we kind of had a break, like a two-minute break between those two meetings. And there's this guy named Dan Eaton. Many of you know Dan. He gets up here and he's like, I'm Danomite. Ha, 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 ha. And it's, you know, we've heard it a million times. And so, but you know Dan is, well, Dan has this sarcastic humor about him. Sometimes if it's encouraging and sometimes it's discouraging. And so he looks over at me in between this meeting and he says, he says, hey, pastor, I don't know if you know this, but you have no friends. Where did that come from? I mean, I was kidding. We weren't talking about any of this. And he just says, I don't know if you know this, but you have no friends. Now, it was silent for a moment because it's like, well, is this true? Is it, I mean, we're all just staring at him like, is he being sarcastic? Is he trying to be funny? Did, I mean, come on, like, tell us in here. And all of a sudden, it was silent for so long that David and Jill started chiming in. They're like, that's not true, Dan. You've got to be high. You're on something. You're crazy. I mean, that is not true at all. And Dan goes, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. He said, I, I have had the privilege of knowing a lot of the pastors over the course of the years that have been here. And he said, here's what I learned. It's encouraging. You have the loneliest job on the face of the planet. He said, it is one of the most painful, it is the loneliest job that you will ever face. And he said, I'm just glad that I'm not you. <laughs> so I was feeling really good at this point. And of course, you know, David and Jill are so kind. No, 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 no. He's got lots of friends. He's got lots of people. That's not true. He goes, no, I am telling you. 
I am telling you, this man has no friends. And here's how I know that. Because in the back of his mind, he knows that he can't share deep things about his life without the fear of those people then turning around and sharing it with others. Like there's always this sense that no matter how close people get, like there's a chance that they could turn on you. And so he said, Pastor, I'm going to tell you one last time. You have no friends. And I love this because what he was trying to say in a roundabout way, not, you know, in, in a sarcastic way, was you're on your own. Now, I'll be honest. There are a lot of times I feel that way. There are times I don't feel like the way that Dan described. But uh, there are times as a pastor I feel like you are on your own. And you know this, right? You've had experiences in your life where you felt like you were on your own. Many of you have had a job for the first time and you remember the first time you had a job and you had a coach and a mentor and you started that job and they were teaching you how to do the job. You were doing it for about two or three weeks and then all of a sudden they walked up to you and they said, looks like you're doing a fantastic job. You are on your own. And then it was like, no, I, I don't know what to do. There was this panic, right? Like, oh, now I'm on my own. Some of you know that the first time you left for school, you left for college, or you left home. You remember this? You remember this feeling? Like, yes, I am on my own. Thank God I don't have to see them ever again. Some of you have understood that as a leader in the business world or in the marketplace or even just leading your families, whatever you do, you know that sometimes the decisions you have to make are decisions nobody else wants to make, and you realize that that big decision means you are on your own because nobody's standing with you on it. Right? I love social media. I'm not on social media. I know I should be. I'm just not. And um, at the end of the day, I will sneak on under our church's name or under Janelle's name. And, and I just love watching people. You ever notice there are people who follow millions of other people? And then when you look who's following them, it's like one. And I think, man, you've got to be on your own. You've got to be all alone. And then, but, but it goes deeper than this, right? We have this sense, like, when we're taking care of our families, when we have to pay bills, when we have to do something that nobody else wants to do, when you're caring for, when you're taking care of, there is this sense of you're on your own, right? And here's the good news that I want to share with you today. If you have this sense of loneliness, if you have this sense of you're on your own, here's the good news for you. You are in the wilderness. That's encouraging, right? <laughs> and here's, it's so interesting because over history and in ancient times, here's how they would describe the wilderness. The wilderness was a place not inhabited by human beings. Now, this is really important. The, the wilderness is a place not inhabited by human beings. This is the place where evil spirits, this is the place where evil lurks. This is where nobody wants to be. And if you ever found yourself there, there are no they's out there to help you. You are on your own. But here's what's so interesting. When you begin to look at the Bible and you begin to look at stories of people throughout history who God has called to do amazing things for the world in and through the world, I mean, amazing stories of amazing people, often you will find that they have this kind of experience of you're on your own. You're in the wilderness. And if you're like me, you're sitting here saying, what is the connection? What's the connection between my faith and the fallout of everything around me? Why is it that I have to go through this experience where I feel like I'm on my own? Why do I have to go through the wilderness? Why am I lonely and feel like nobody is around? In fact, in fact, my guess is if you feel that way today, you are asking this question. Is God with me? 
So today we're going to look at a story, and this guy named Luke, many of you know Luke, you're familiar with Luke. If you're not, and you've never heard of him, this was a guy who had a lucrative career. <laughs> Terrible joke. It was a lucrative career, and he left a life of comfort and luxury, and he decided to go out and to brave the wilderness. This guy left everything familiar. He left a nice house, he left a nice family, and he decided, because he had so many questions about whether Jesus' life was true or not, he decided, I'm going out and I'm going to find out if this guy truly existed. And so he went where nobody else was going. And he started asking questions that nobody else was asking. And what is so neat about Luke's account is he gives us a look behind the scenes behind Jesus' life leading up. In fact, to get to Jesus' life, he tells us this story. It's not about Jesus. It's a precursor to Jesus that takes us into what Jesus wants to do for the world. And I think Luke shares this with us because he's been on the you're on your own kind of experience. He's been in the wilderness and he knows, hey, there are people throughout history and for the rest of their lives that will always feel this way. And so if you feel that way today, Luke has written this for you and for me. And so here's what he says. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Ooh, that's a huge title. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Now you're saying, are we talking about Jesus? No, we're talking about the one who prepares the way for Jesus. His name was John, and the guy who's talking about John is his father, Zechariah. You get this? Zechariah had this moment where he was silenced. He names his son John, and all of a sudden he can speak, and he comes into this long litany about his son, and he starts doing what dads do. He starts bragging about his son. Now, if your kid was the executor to LeBron James, you would brag about him. Right? If your kid, if your kid was the manager for Post Malone, you, maybe some of you, would be bragging about this. <laughs> if your son or your daughter were the teacher for Michelangelo, or Vivaldi, you would be bragging about their kid, your kid. You would. And so this is what Zechariah does. He says, man, this guy's going to prepare the way for Jesus. And he continues, he says, this, he says, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And he continues, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will, sh uh, will, will shine, it comes to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Light will come to those who live in darkness and feel the shadow of death. Where we were last week. If you're in the valley, light is coming, he says. And he guides our feet into the paths of peace. Now, Zechariah talks about all these great things that his son is going to do. And then Luke gives us this important detail. It's a throwaway sentence. It's a throwaway line that so many of us would just read over and be like, oh, okay, that's great. We love the Zechariah poem. We love his song. But Luke included this because this is the preparation. And here's what he says. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And he lived in, say it with me now, in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel.
I know that you know this. I know that many of you are scholars. I'm not here to pretend like I know more than you do. You, you obviously know more than I do. But I just want to remind you this morning that if you are called by God to do something great, if you were called to prepare the way, to prepare the way for the Savior who's going to come in and offer salvation to everybody, the starting place for you is school. Right? If you want to be the future potential prophet that comes in to lead the way for this guy who's coming to save the world, you go to school, you go to the temple, you sit in front of people who teach you, you go listen to a rabbi. The bottom line is this, you just do what everyone else is doing. And we hope, we hope that it becomes apparent that you are just better than all your peers. Then we'll know that you're the prophet. I wonder today, let's talk about you for just a minute. I wonder if you feel in your life, like, like the way that Zechariah describes his son, I wonder if you feel that's how God feels about you. That God has called you to do something crazy in life, something big in life. You have God-sized dreams and God-sized plans. And you know what? You feel like, man, I just don't know where to start. And I feel like God wants me to do something. I don't care if I'm 20 or 50 or 70. I know God has something for me and he's preparing something for me. But for so many of us, our start is so average. Because we just go and do what everybody else does. All right, well, you need to go to college. If you want to do anything in life, you need to go to college. You've got to have a degree, right? And when you're there, you don't really make friends. You make acquaintances, so that way you'll have influence and you'll know people. When you become big and they become big, you just can name drop other people, right? It's all about who you know. And, and, and the degree to which you can make a difference in, in the world is how many degrees you have behind your name. And I'll just be honest, uh, this isn't true for everyone, but some of the most educated people do the least in the world. They're so busy talking about life and theorizing about life that they've never actually experienced life itself. And I think this is really true, especially when it comes to pastors. We have people, I love this in pastor world, we have somebody who has this calling on their life. They sense that God wants to do something great through them and for them, and they want to offer hope to people. And what do we do? We say, that's fantastic. I love your enthusiasm. Go to school so we can squash it. Now, listen, I'm not bashing on school. I'm not trying to, you know, talk poorly about education. I'm just saying, at the end of the day, the starting point seems so average. You just go do what everybody else is doing. And then we'll figure out if God has really called you to do something great for him. Y'all with me on this? But John, John starts where nobody else starts. He starts in the wilderness. And I would say to you, if you feel like you're on your own, if you have this feeling like you're on the, your own and you feel like you're in the wilderness, I would say, this is good news. This is the perfect starting point for you. If you want to do something big for God, if you want to do something great for God, this is the perfect starting point for you. Because great preparation for God's plan starts in unexpected places. That is so key. Because so often we'll just go to the average places where everybody else is to try to figure out what God wants to do through us and for us. Did you notice that Jesus didn't begin in a palace? He didn't start on a, like a, a stallion. Like John doesn't start in a temple. He doesn't start in schools. He's, they, they start where nobody else expects it. Stables and wilderness. And I just want to say to you, if you anticipate that God's going to do something through you, if he has great plans for you, then you have to go to places that are unexpected, that you would least expect, which is the wilderness. 
And you're saying, why do I have to go there? If I want to be a great leader, if I want to do something forgotten, why do I have to go there? And it's actually said in something we, we covered previously. We just kind of skipped over it. But this is what Luke said in the beginning. He says, he says and the child grew and became, say it with me now, strong in spirit. Just a little bit louder. He grew and he became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, these words, grew in spirit, is so important. Now, many of you know this, that this word spirit, which is really weird, it's kind of mystical. We can't really touch it or grab it or feel it. It's like, what does spirit mean? Well, it literally gets translated breath. And I, I actually like just to use my imagination and say, it's really about a whisper. Have you ever noticed that you use more breath to whisper than you do when you're talking out loud? Right? You've, you've had your kids come up to you and they want to tell you a secret and they're just like. <sighs> or maybe you want to tell somebody a secret and it is, it's so breath heavy. It's like, did you know <sighs> that I was <sighs> going to church today? Like, you know, you, you use all this breath to whisper. To whisper something that you want one person to hear that nobody else can hear. And what I love is the only way that John could lead the way for Jesus was learning to listen to the whisper in the wilderness. The only way that he could have done what God had called him to do was to go out to a place where nobody else was and learn to listen to God's whisper. Have you ever thought about what John would have become if he wouldn't have <laughs> done this? Have you considered that perhaps if he would have listened to all the other people, all the other rabbis, all the other teachers, all the other folks in his life, if he would have listened to all those other people, he would have just become a Pharisee and somebody who ended up crucifying Jesus on the cross. And we would not have what we have today because he refused to listen to the voice in the wilderness. We would be in some serious trouble if he chose not to lead the way by listening to the whisper. And this is what is so true for you, is that you have to go. Going where no one else is going is the key to hearing God. This is what we learn from what John has done in the wilderness, that the key to hearing God is going where no one else is going. The key to hearing God is going where no one else is going. Have you thought about this? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I may be ahead of myself in my notes, but that's okay. We're going to roll with it. Have you ever thought, and I'm just playing devil's advocate, that there are people... You ever notice somebody who's hungry in their profession? You ever notice somebody who's growing in their profession? You ever notice what they do in order to get there? Right? They surround themselves with a lot of people... They have coaches, they have mentors, they have teachers, they have uh, 
spiritual leaders, they have guides, they have all these, they have parents, they have friends, they have family, they have all these people that speak into their life. And they become successful in what they're doing. But and again, I'm not advocating for this, I'm just arguing this point, that I think so often we actually never find who we're called to be and we never understand who we are because we're simply who everybody else told us to be. That we have all these mentors, we have all these coaches, and we have all these teachers telling us what we should do and who we should be, and we actually can't hear God calling us and telling us who we should be because we're listening to everybody else. And sometimes you have to go on your own. Actually, God is calling you to go on your own because this is the only way that you're going to hear his voice. Because we get so busy listening to other people, we get so filled with noise that we don't even know what God is wanting to do through us and for us. And perhaps the only way to get your attention is to make you feel like you're on your own. And here's what I know. If you get to this place, if you can brave the wilderness, to to borrow a line from one of my favorite writers, Brene Brown, if you can brave the wilderness, you will hear the whisper. And even though you feel like you're on your own, you are not alone. Because you have to understand that if you can hear the whisper, why do people whisper? Because they're close to you. They're right next to you. And the only reason you can hear them is because they're close. And when you can hear God's whisper in your life, he is with you. You may feel alone, but he's right next to you. And what I love is that John hears God's word. And he changes lives. And this is what happens in this story. And you know what's going to happen. I'm going to just tell you up front. I can't pronounce half these names. So when I get to the ones I can't, we're just going to babble through them and pretend like we know what they are. So here we go. Ready? He says this. In the 15th year, we're in the third chapter now of Luke. He's already gone through one. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and some inflammation name in Lazonius, tetrarch of Abilania, got it, during the high priesthood of Caiaphas and Ananias, shall we go on? It's funny, I said this in the last sermon. I think the reason why Luke names all these people is because these were all the voices that everybody was listening to. Nobody knew how to lead in this day. Nobody knew how to be a prophet. Nobody knew how to prepare a way for a savior because we were too busy listening to the religious leaders, listening to the government that like just had their boot on our necks and enslaved us. But listen to this. Because John went to the wilderness, the word of God came to John. God spoke to him. He heard the word. He found his identity. He knew exactly who he was supposed to be when he was in the wilderness because he listened to the voice. And here's what he says. He continues. It's then he went into the countryside preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he continues. As it is written in the book of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the paths for him. Every valley will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be made low. And he continues, the crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways made smooth. 
and say this with me now, because this is the most important sentence. He says, and all people will see God's salvation. Wow. Everyone within the human world will know, he doesn't say a few in the region, he says everyone will know God's salvation. And I am so thankful that we have a rescue, that we have salvation, because somebody was willing to brave the wilderness and find the voice that was whispering the way. That is the only reason why we sit here. You're here. I'm here. The reason why we've experienced Jesus in your life, and if you haven't yet, let me just tell you, you are missing out. You have got to get on this because it is good. But that's only made possible because somebody listened to the voice in the wilderness. And so here's what I want you to know. If you have this sense that you are on your own, and you're wanting help, and you're wanting hope. Let me just say this. This is what I want you to know today. If you don't hear anything else, this is it. Our rescue is not removal from, but recognition of. Your rescue, your rescue, your salvation is not removal from, but recognition of. Not removal from, but recognition of. Say it with me now. Not removal from, but recognition of. One more time. Not removal from, but recognition of. Not removal from the wilderness that you find yourself in. Not removing the feeling that you feel when you know that you're all alone, but rather your rescue is recognizing the whisper of God's voice. And it's then, it's then that you will have a breakthrough. It's then that you will begin to stand up and you will begin to lead the way for other people to find this hope that you and I claim to be true in our lives. And so my challenge to you today is this. I want you to discover in your life where are the places that keep you from hearing the whisper. What are the places, the things in your life that keep you from hearing God's voice? You know, one of the things we do on our staff, we have eight staff practices that we follow. And the very first one is called sit before you serve. That you can't serve people unless you're sitting with Jesus. And if you're not sitting with Jesus, there's a good chance you don't have the capacity to serve other people. And so many of you know that, uh, and this is Katie's story. This is what I, I'm going to tell Katie's story in just a second. But when, when I met Katie a few years ago, she was sort of on the periphery. She was sort of kind of doing her own thing. And all of a sudden she discovers Jesus. She finds Jesus. She becomes hungry about Jesus. And she starts asking us about, hey, where should I go? What should I do? And we just said, hey, we want to teach you how to pray and how to sit with Jesus. And for a whole entire year, she sat there in the wilderness, listening, listening, and listening. We didn't say, Katie, you feel called to be a pastor. Time to go to school now. Time to go do what everybody else is doing. Time to just, you know, just see if we can make it. If you have enough theology, if you have enough degrees, you might have a chance at making it. You know, we took a risk. I took a huge risk. She has no experience with youth, we know that. Sorry, I'm just putting that out there. She's young, she's young. And I know it doesn't seem logical, 
but why is it, that, and this is nothing against school or all of that, why is it that we send people who want to be pastors, who have a passion, who have heard from God and know their calling, and they've been listening and sitting and understanding that God wants them to do, why do we just send them to school? So we said, you know what, we'll give you a chance. We'll give you a start. But the reason we gave her a start is because I knew that the preparation that she took over the course of the year of sitting and listening to God speak to her life was the reason why I said, okay, I think you can do it. You could just see it in her. You could sense her spirit and even her wisdom for somebody her age. You know, she would never tell you this, but when we were in this process of, of selling this property and we were in the process of getting ready to move, did you know that she was fasting that entire weekend? As far as I know, none of the other pastors were doing that. I didn't even think of that. It shows you how unholy I am. But only somebody who hears God's voice and knows what God has called them to do would do something like that. And I would say, man, she's doing what God has asked her to do. She's preparing the way for other people. And I would say to you, you can do the same thing. You just have to get rid of those places in your life that are keeping you from hearing the voice. So this week, I just want you to go out and I want you to mark in your phone. I want you to mark on your journal. Hey, can't hear it here. I can't hear it here. Oh, I've been here. There's too much noise here. I just want you to begin to identify those places. And I'm not asking you to remove yourself from them, but allow space for you to begin to hear God's voice. That's what I want for you. So let me pray for you this morning. Lord, we do give thanks. We give thanks for this day and for this time. Lord, the wilderness is not a fun place. In fact, we wanna go back where everybody else is hanging out. We wanna be with other people. We want the affirmation of others. We want others to grab us by the hand and to carry us along because it's easier there. And so this morning, I pray that if there's somebody here who finds themselves in the wilderness, if they have this sense that they are on their own, that this is the perfect place to be and that you are preparing them to make a change, not in just the world, but in the lives of others who need to know you. And so for that, we give you praise in Jesus' name.